What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies Lightyear, the unbearable weight of massive talent, and Last Night in Soho. First, let's talk about Lightyear. Here's a quick synopsis. Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear and the rest of Star Command are stranded on a desolate planet and are desperate to get back into space. The film stars Chris Evans, Kiki Palmer, Taika Waititi, Uzo Aduba, Peter Sohn, and James Brolin. Standout performances. Chris Evans played Captain America from 2011 to 2020, starring in seven films. It's far and away what he's most known for, and since retiring the role, he's made a very wise choice in playing characters that are vastly different than Steve Rogers. In Knives Out, he played Ransom, a spoiled, rotten man who was angry at his grandfather for cutting him off. And in the miniseries Defending Jacob, he plays Andy Barber, a father whose son is accused of murder. So for that reason, I was surprised when it was announced Evans was going to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear because it's another character similar similar to Captain America, a Boy Scout who always follows the rules. Evans is good in the role. I just personally want Evans to play more mischievous characters like the ones in Knives Out. I think he should be done playing heroes. He's done it too many times. He did it in Captain America. He did it in the Fantastic Four movies, which he's one of the only good things about those films. I also really like him in Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer, but I do think he should be done playing heroes. I also think Chris Evans is really good at playing villainous roles. I love him in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I fully understand why Pixar wanted Chris Evans to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear. What I don't understand is why Chris Evans wanted to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear. It kind of feels like been there, done that. 2022 feels like a huge year for Kiki Palmer, who was a child star from the 2006 movie Aquila and the Bee and the Nickelodeon show. True Jackson VP from 2008 to 2011. In recent years, she appeared in the short-lived series Scream Queens with fellow former Nickelodeon star Emma Roberts and had a supporting role in the movie Hustlers along with Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu, and Lily Reinhardt. I thought Palmer was sensational in that movie, a real scene stealer. And not only is she in a Pixar movie, but later this summer she is co-starring in Jordan Peele's next film, Nope, alongside Daniel Kaluuya and Steven Yeun. Peele has become the master of horror with Get Out in 2017 when he won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and Us in 2019. Palmer is in the midst of blowing up in Lightyear. She plays Izzy, the granddaughter of Buzz's former partner. Chris Evans will next appear in The Gray Man with Ryan Gosling, his fourth movie with the Russo brothers, the movie Ghosted, where he will re-team with his Knives Out co-star Ana de Armas, who is also in The Gray Man, and it was recently announced that Chris Evans is going to play Gene Kelly in a biopic. Lightyear is the latest film from Pixar, the studio who has dominated the animation landscape since Toy Story was released in 1995. They've won Best Animated Film 10 times at the Oscars for Finding Nemo in 2003, The Incredibles in 2004, Ratatouille in 2007, Wally in 2008, Up in 2009, Toy Story in 2010, Brave in 2012, Inside Out in 2015, Coco in 2017, Toy Story 4 in 2018, and Soul in 2019. In two of their film 
films, Toy Story 3 and Up were nominated for Best Picture, and not only have their films been critical successes, they've also been huge financial ones. Four of the top ten highest grossing animated films at the box office have come from Pixar. All four made over a billion dollars. The thing about Lightyear is it's the rare Pixar film that's not having a lot of success in either area. So far, the film has only made $204 million at the box office, which isn't awful until you learn it costs $200 million to make. The movie is being called out for its lack of originality. It's weirdly similar to Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. It's failing to connect with both kids and adults. If the movie fails to make at least $300 million, it would be only the second theatrical Pixar release to do so, the other being Onward. And it's not like you can say other kid movies aren't doing well at the box office right now. The Bad Guys made over $239 million at the box office, and the new Minions movie has already made over $400 million. And everyone is asking the same question. Why does the movie Lightyear exist? And it's simple, for money. The four movies that have made the most money for Pixar have been the ones with already established characters. The Incredibles 2, Toy Story 3 and 4, and Finding Dory. They obviously thought a movie starring Buzz Lightyear would be a hit, and ultimately they were wrong, and not even a wisecracking talking robot cat can fix it. My biggest issue with Lightyear is the villain. When it's revealed who Zerg really is, the plot for me falls apart. It's lackluster, and no, the reveal is not Zerg is Buzz's father. It's somehow even worse. Maybe we all are being a little harsh with this movie. It's an average animated film, but not what we've become accustomed to seeing from Pixar. This movie is so straightforward. There's no big emotional surprises, at least any that are effective. Their last few films, Soul, which I thought was their best movie since Inside Out, Luca and Big Red, which I thought were both criminally underrated. I also really liked Onward, and what I like most about Pixar is their movies are curious about life. Up is curious about an old man dealing with grief. Inside Out is curious about kids and their emotions. And Soul is curious about life and people chasing a dream. You could not watch Lightyear and tell me what the filmmakers are curious about. Lightyear is also clouded in controversies because of a same-sex kiss that honestly no one should care about. And due to the fact that Tim Allen, the man who voiced the character in the Toy Story films, is not the voice of Buzz Lightyear. And the director of this movie can say all he wants about how it's because it's the man the toy is based off of. But make no mistake, if they made a Woody movie, they'd get Tom Hanks to voice Woody. The difference being Hanks is still a massive star, and Alan is not as big as he used to be in the 90s when he was making the Santa Claus movies, and he was the star of his own sitcom in Home Improvement. They brought in Chris Evans due to his star power. Lightyear really does make me wonder what the future of Pixar is. Should they try to make movies that are hits? Should they make deep, thoughtful movies? And will the perceived failure of Lightyear make Pixar change their overall strategy moving forward? I also have to wonder if Disney needs Pixar. Their biggest hits over the last few years have been non-Pixar movies. 
Frozen in its sequel, Big Hero 6, Moana, Zootopia, and last year's Encanto. Back when Pixar started, you could differentiate Pixar from the other Disney animated films because those movies like Lion King and Hercules were hand-drawn and Pixar, and still is, computer animated. Nowadays, you only know it's a Pixar movie because it says Pixar before the title. Pixar has been brilliant since I was a kid, and I hope it's not done, but I feel like their run of animated dominance might be coming to an end. Overall, Lightyear is one of the most disappointing movies of the year. Due to its simplicity, the best thing about most Pixar movies are they are complicated, and it's ironic that a movie whose main character's catchphrase is to infinity and beyond didn't go far enough. Now let's switch gears and talk about the movie The unbearable weight of massive talent. Here's a quick synopsis. Actor Nicolas Cage is asked to make an appearance at a billionaire's birthday party who claims to be Cage's biggest fan. The film stars Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, and Neil Patrick Harris. Standout performances. Very few if any other actors have had a career similar to that of Nick Cage, who early on in his career worked with master directors. His uncle Francis Ford Coppola on 19 1986's Peggy Sue Got Married, the Coen brothers on their second film Raising Arizona in 1987, and Norman Jewinson on 1988's Moonstruck, where his co-star Cher won Best Actress at the Oscars, and in 1995, Cage himself won Best Actor for his performance in Leaving Las Vegas. In the late 90s, Cage's career went in a completely different direction when he starred in free action movies. First, Michael Bay's The Rock in 1996 with Sean Connery and Ed Harris, and Con Air with John Cusack and John Malkovich, and Face Off with John Travolta, both in 1997. After his run of action movies, Cage gave two of the best performances of his career in Spike Jones's adaptation in 2002, where he was nominated for Best Actor, and Ridley Scott's Matchstick Men, where Cage plays a con man. Most people my age know him as the guy who starred in the Disney movie National treasure and its sequel, the superhero movie Ghost Rider and its sequel, and another Disney movie The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And I don't care for any of those films. They are fun at times, but they are far from good. The thing about Cage is the minute you think his time as a relevant figure is over, he proves you wrong. Last year he starred in the indie movie Pig and gave one of the best performances of his career, and he should have gotten another Oscar nomination. And with this movie, The Unbearable Weight a massive talent, he's now commentating on his own career. Cage's main co-star in the movie is Pedro Pascal, best known for playing Mando on The Mandalorian. He also played the villain in Wonder Woman 1984. I thought he was fantastic in the Netflix movie Triple Frontier. In the unbearable weight of massive talent, he's playing Cage's biggest fan. The two have really good comedic chemistry with one another. Cage will next star in Renfield with Nicholas Holt where he will be playing Dracula and Pascal will be the lead of HBO's television adaptation of the video game The Last of Us. The unbearable weight of massive talent for me is more interesting than it is good. There are few actors who could star in a movie like this because everyone knows or think they know the career of Nick Cage. It's been publicized how often he works. He's 58 years old and has starred in over 110 movies. In comparison, Tom Cruise just turned 60 and has starred
starred in less than 70 films. And growing up, I saw Andy Samberg play a fictional version of Cage on SNL where he acted like he was perfect for every movie. It was one of the funniest bits I've seen on that show. I think the flaw of this movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, is the tone of the movie. I just don't connect with it. I don't find it to be that funny. I don't think it really works as a satire of what Hollywood is really like. In fact, while watching it, I thought to myself, you know what is a better satire of Hollywood than this movie? Ben Stiller's Tropic Thunder. That's the ultimate satire of a movie star. I've already seen a better version of this movie. I also think the other problem of the movie is the real Nicolas Cage is more interesting than this fictional version. When some people are playing a fictional version of themselves, they're usually doing it because they're not as interesting as the fictional version. The real Nicolas Cage is endlessly fascinating. If he were to make a real movie about himself, I would be 100% fully invested. I just don't care for this fictional version of who Nicolas Cage is. I don't care about the fake daughter. I don't care about the fake relationship with his ex-wife in the movie. I just don't care. If it were about the real Nicolas Cage and he was really looking to make a movie about himself, then I would 100% love that movie. I like this movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't like the tone of this movie. The humor just doesn't really work for me. Overall, if you are a big fan of Nicolas Cage, this movie will satisfy you on that level, but if you are looking for anything more, the movie falls short. I liked it, but I really wanted to love it. Let's switch gears one final time and talk about the movie Last Night in Soho. Here's a quick synopsis. Eloise, a girl from a small town, moves to London to pursue her dreams of becoming a fashion designer, and later, after she arrives, she has a vivid dream of a young woman in the city in the 1960s. The film stars Thomas and Mackenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Sam Claflin, and the late Diana Rigg. Spotlight performances. Thomas and Mackenzie is someone I've been impressed with the past few years. She broke out with the movie Leave No Trace with Ben Foster. I thought she was the best part of Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit and really liked her in both True History of the Kelly Yang and M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Last Night in Soho is the first film she's really being asked to carry and she does so convincingly. She's very soft-spoken which makes her very believable as Eloise, someone who is moving from a small town to the big city. The other young star in the movie is Anya Taylor-Joy who is not asked to do a whole lot in this movie. She has very little dialogue but what she does have is star power and when watching this I wanted more of her in it which is a testament to her. I mean we've all seen her break out with the Queen's Gambit and I just saw her in the trailer of the new David O. Russell film and now she's making the Furiosa movie with George Miller. Like as big as Anya Taylor-Joy is right now I think she's about to get even bigger. Thomas and Mackenzie will next star in the movies Eileen with Anne Hathaway and Perfect directed by Olivia Wilde. Mackenzie is only 21 years of age and has already worked with an impressive list of filmmakers. Deborah Granick, Taika Waititi, Justin Kurzel, David Michaud, M. Night Shyamalan, Edgar Wright, and Jane Campion. Let's talk about the director of Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright, who is the director of two of my favorite movies ever, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and Baby Driver, along with directing Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. 
all of those films are mixed with comedy, and that's not the case with Last Night in Soho. It's a straight-up horror film, and some elements of it are fantastic, especially the scenes in the 1960s London. It's one of the best-looking films. The stuff in modern times could have really used that Edgar Wright signature humor due to the fact it was flawed and not as good as the parts in the past. Wright's career almost went in a completely different direction when he was chosen to direct the first Ant-Man movie, but left over creative differences, and then he made a hit with Baby Driver, and with Last Night in Shoho is showing his range as a filmmaker. I like the message of the movie, which is the past isn't as glorious as we all like to believe. A lot of people look at other time periods and think that was the golden age, but in reality, those periods have a lot of the same problems and are a lot worse in a lot of different ways. I had very high expectations for Last Night in Soho due to the fact of being directed by Edgar Wright. And parts of the movie, like I said, are great. All the stuff in the 60s, I thought all that stuff was so great, but all of the other stuff in modern times felt underdeveloped. Mackenzie's Eloise has a love interest named John. I did not care for their scenes together. What I did like is the story of a small town kid coming to the big city. That story is timeless and relatable. Last Night in Soho did not fare very well at the box office, and a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. I just thought because of right, this movie would be more of a modest hit than it is. His last film, Baby Driver, made near $230 million, while Last Night in Soho made only $23 million on a $43 million budget. Another thing I find odd about that number is it's a horror movie. That genre has fared very well at the box office lately. I think this all goes back to the fact that the movie is humorless and unlike Edgar Wright's other movies. I think when people think of what Edgar Wright does, they think of comedies. So I don't think people were willing to go see his version of a horror movie. Also, the reviews of this movie are pretty mixed. Like, I really liked it. I think it is a very good movie that could have been great if the parts in modern time were better. I think this was a masterpiece, but it wasn't. It's flawed. It's a good movie that is flawed, but some people really did not care for this movie at all, and I think some of those bad reviews kept people away from seeing this movie. Also, other than Taylor Joy, this movie lacks star power. Like, people aren't going to the movies to see Thomas and Mackenzie. She's not that well known. I don't think people are that interested in Matt Smith. I know he was Doctor Who, but I don't think he's a box office draw. I think this movie seriously lacks star power. I mean, Baby Driver had John Hamm, Jamie Foxx. To be a hit, this movie had to have been great, and it's not. It's good. I really like it, but it's not great, and word of mouth did not help this movie at all. Overall, Last Night in Soho is a really good movie that has some major flaws that keep it from being great. I love seeing two of the best young actresses, Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy share the screen. I will say, I wish they had more scenes together. Like, I wish there were more interactions between Mackenzie and Taylor-Joy because that's how good I believe both of them are. I want to see them do another movie together. I hope it really happens where they really get to share some scenes together because in this movie, there's very little interaction between the two. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney and there'll be a new episode of the podcast 
podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I recommend you watch the movies Lightyear, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and Last Night in Soho. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking about the career of actor Jeremy Allen White and the movies Red Rocket and The Contractor. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. 